What a great day, right? I think uh, God blessed this day for us. We got to worship together, and uh, it's like not too hot, uh, not too cold, not too sunny. So uh, praise God for that. Um, let me pray for us, uh, or let me read the passage first, and then pray for us, and we'll hear from God's word. Uh, today's passage is found in uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 1 through 4. Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 4, and uh, David Michael posted the sermon notes on the uh, Facebook as well. Here's your word of God. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, your goodness and unending love towards your people. That even during the pandemic, that we get to praise you together, hear from you together. And uh, it's been definitely a struggle for us to um, worship together um, through technology, uh, as we are uh, immensely grateful for that as well. But thank you for this opportunity today where we get to see uh, more of us here, uh, in fact, many of us here, um, seeing one of faces and uh, get to realize that this is our church, um, that these are people that you love, that you have built to be um, your church. So Lord, uh, feed us um, wherever we are, uh, whether here or through live stream, uh, speak to each one of our hearts. Uh, but more importantly, from there, uh, build us up as a community. Help me to serve this body uh, well uh, by speaking clearly uh, of your word. Help all of us this time. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let me start with uh, a story from Aesop's Fables. I don't know if you grew up with it, but the story goes like this. A lion used to prowl about a field in which four oxen used to dwell. And many a time he tried to attack them. But whenever he came near, uh, they, the oxen, four oxen, turned their tails to one another so that whichever way he approached them, he was met by the horns of one of them. At last, however, uh, the oxen fell a quarreling among themselves and each went off to pasture alone in a separate corner of the field. 
Then the lion attacked them one by one, soon made an end of all four. I'll show you the story as we start because uh, if you've been following this series that I've been doing this summer uh, from the book of Philippians, in the previous passage, um, Paul talked about how the Philippine Christians are to be united in their war uh, with their enemy, essentially Satan, who is using different means to devour uh, this church and hinder the advancement of the gospel uh, that they're trying to accomplish as a church. And in today's passage, Paul will continue on uh, with this topic, and we'll talk about now how this unity of the church can be achieved. And, uh, and I think it's relevant to our church, um, to CLC, because just as Satan was at work back then, he's still at work uh, to devour us as a community and um, you know, hinder us from what we're trying to do as a church, as Christians. And uh, as, I'm, as I was preparing for this message, I was just amazed by how God worked through this past few weeks because you know, pastors didn't talk about, you know, like, hey, let's you know, preach about church. We didn't do that. Well, Pastor John talked about the church two weeks ago, and Pastor Thomas in his first or last sermon last week, uh, he talked about the church. And today, I'm just you know going along in this series of Book of Philippians, and it so happened that this passage will be about the church as well. And so I'm convinced that God really wants to talk to us, to CLC, about this. So let's be encouraged by it. Let's listen together as a church. I have uh, three points for you, as usual. Uh, first point, uh, Thanksgiving leads to unity. And second, like mindset leads to unity. And thirdly, humility leads to unity. First point, thanksgiving leads to unity. You know, Paul starts out this passage in this way, in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So here Paul is basically listing out all the blessings that the Philippians have uh, by simply the virtue of being people of God. And that, that's what Paul is doing. And so let's look one by one what, what Paul means by that. First of all, encouragement in, in Christ. So the phrase in Christ is significant in, in Paul's letters because he uses that phrase to uh, signify uh, believers being united with Christ. Meaning when a person puts their faith in Christ, uh, they have a totally new identity now. Meaning Christ is their identity. In that Christ covers a Christian and, and now he covers all their sins. And instead he covers with his perfect righteousness. So that when God sees those in Christ, he doesn't see anymore the helpless, hopeless sinners. But now God sees the redeemed and restored children of his own. That is, in other words, 
they're no longer an object of God's righteous wrath, but now they're an object of God's steadfast, unending love. And now, this is huge encouragement for the Philippine Christians because, as we've been seeing in this book, they're being persecuted. They're being mocked and despised for being Christians. You know, they're losing their friends and family, their jobs and their earthly status just for being Christians. But when they understand this identity in Christ, when they realize that they're forever accepted by God, forever honored by God, when there's rejection all around in their lives, they're encouraged. They realize that God's arms are holding them, embracing them, and that gives them encouragement. So what Paul says then uh, in the next phrase makes sense. He goes on, he says, any comfort from love. Now they're the object of God's steadfast love. So they, they realize, they, they understand from the scripture, they understand from you know God's word that God... In his unending love for them, he sent his son to die on the cross for them to make these people their own. That they realize that even when they're rebellious and far away from God, God still saw them and God pursued them and that God gave up his best, his one only son, to win their hearts. And it shows to the Philippians that God values them God cherishes them, God treasures them. And when they meditate on this, they get such comfort in the midst of different sufferings they go through. And now Paul keeps going. He doesn't end there about these blessings of being in Christ. He says participation in the Spirit. You know, once they put their faith in Christ and they're united with Christ, now God the Holy Spirit enters into their lives and he dwells there in their hearts as permanent residents. And he stay there, stays there because he wants to encourage and empower his Christians to keep going when their human strength fails. And not only that, when their hearts get dry because of different troubles of this world, the Holy Spirit encourages them through God's word or through people, even through worship songs that we just sang earlier. And through that encouragement, Christians can keep going, keep fighting the good fight for, for God. So lastly, Paul sums all this up, saying, any affection and sympathy. The word affection in Greek there means heartfelt, deep love. So Paul is basically saying, you see, you Philippians, guys, no matter how you feel right now, no matter how you, what you see in your own lives, you have the love of the Trinity God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. They are cooperating to love you, to shower upon you this love for you. So that's who you are. You are immensely blessed. And now the question is, you know, why is Paul talking about these blessings before he moves on to exhortation about the unity of the church? The reason is because 
oftentimes, even for our lives too, commands in the Bible sound like chores to avoid, right? If you are told to do something, hey, be united as a church. That sounds like a chore. But if our hearts are warmed and moved and melted by just thinking about these blessings and your hearts moved into thanksgiving, then now these commands don't sound like chores. They sound more like delight. You want to please God. And that's what God wants. And so Paul is basically saying, hey, he's almost begging the Philippians, hey, is there any blessing that you see? Although there are 10,000 reasons, like we saw earlier, to praise God, but do you see any, can you dig deeper into your heart? Can you find any blessings that you forgot about? And meditate on that and give thanks to God. Only then you're able to hear what I'm about to say. Man, I was going to bring this with me as, as an illustration, but there's this thing called the WD-40. How many of you know what that is? Okay. All right, maybe half of you. Um, so WD-40, it's a product. It's a lubricant for metal objects. I, I use this often. Um, you know, whenever our door hinges are squeaking, so I spray this thing onto the, the hinge and and uh, the noise is gone. Why? Because the lubricant lubricated the hinge and uh, the part, the metal parts are, you know, it's, it's smooth now. It's, it's not stuck anymore. And uh, you can use this for all kinds of products, right? All kinds of, you know, machinery even, like even bicycles and, you know, whenever the parts are, again, stuck. And I'm sharing this because um, just like the metal parts, I think our hearts can be stuck too. You know, our, our desire for God can run dry and, and, you know, anything in the Bible that, you know, tells us to do something or think or feel a certain way um, don't sound very effective for our hearts at that state. And, and I think Paul is saying the WD-40 for our hearts in that state is thanksgiving. That we consciously stop and take a moment to give thanks to God about all the blessings that God has poured out on us. So would you please do that before we move on? You know, as individuals first, can you please think of any blessings? There are many, right? But when your memory fails, can you please think of any of these blessings? The moments when you experience God's goodness to you. And I still remember this one time, this lady was just kind of sharing, and she just started crying, just thinking about all the blessings. I think that's what can happen to us as we meditate on how loving, how immensely you know, good God is to each one of our lives. And as you do that, can I also ask you to uh, give thanks to God for CLC? And I think it's appropriate to, for us to do that because we're about to move into the exhortation about the church community. You know, we need to be thankful for this body. Um, you know, uh, some of you guys know I moved around a lot growing up, and uh, what that meant was I ended up 
attending many different churches growing up. Um, you know, I of course grew up in a Korean immigrant church, but um, Anyways, um, so I grew up in Korean immigrant church, but I think as I was, you know, moving around as a family, uh, I also got involved in uh, white church predominantly. I also got involved in, um, you know, multi-ethnic church, you know, not only as a member but also uh, as a pastor, all different functions. And I think one lesson personally for me that I learned from this experience. Uh, is that there is no perfect church on earth. That's what I learned because okay, Lord help us. Um, in every church, you know, no matter how big, no matter how things look on the on the on the outside, there's always you know different flaws and disappointments in the church, in the churches. Uh, but at the same time, I also learned that in each one of these churches, um, you know, there is incredible beauty that God can shine through these churches. And, and that's what the reality is, you know, church, the local church being on earth is never perfect, but God still uses them to bless the members. So, um, as we are <laughs> distracted by the wind, but God is still good. Um, just also take a moment and think about all the blessings of our church. You know, think about maybe especially think about the pre-pandemic blessings and all the sweet fellowships that we could have as church members. You know, press for you. It's certain people that bless you through this church. It could be, you know, the, the preaching of God's word that, you know, builds you up in your journey as a Christian. Or it could be different events, retreats, revivals, or different things that God used to bless your hearts. You know, whatever it is, to me, um, just recount all these blessings for CLC before we move on. And only then our hearts can perhaps take in what Paul has to say next. The second point, like mindset leads to unity. Uh, verse 2, uh, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Here, Paul's exhortation again is, is very simple, you know, the unity of the church. And he explains it in this way. So please follow with me. Uh, Paul repeats in the verse, um, you know, quite a bit. He says, being of the same mind, and then at the end he goes, being of the one mind. So there the word mind uh, doesn't just mean had knowledge. Multitasking. So back to the passage. The mind there is not just a head knowledge, but uh, it's it's more so 
it does include the head knowledge, but uh, what that knowledge does uh, through the mind and also uh, impacting the whole life of the individual. So I think the better word to uh, describe that concept is mindset, right? A mindset is you know you set your mind on something, and now because of that, your whole life is kind of geared towards certain direction. Uh, that's what mindset is. And here Paul says the church must have the same and one mindset, mind and mindset. So what it means is that the church is supposed to learn and set their mind on the same and unifying thing. And as a whole church body now, you know, moves into the same direction because of that one thing. And another question is, what is that one thing that churches is to set their mind on? And it is the word of God. You see, you know, Paul is not denying the reality of the differences that people have in the church. You know, in other, other places of the Bible, Paul likens the people in the church to different parts of the body, you know, having different gifts and talents and all kinds of things. And, and realistically in our own church too, you know, there are different personalities and different walks of life and you know, cultural backgrounds and, and so on. So Paul is, you know, without denying, you know, the diversity, he's saying, what unifies the diversity of the people of the church is that the church sets their mind on God's word and let God's word direct our church into one direction. That's what he means by that. And, and in light of that, just, just think about it. What that means is that, you know, what we're doing right now, you know, and every Sunday is community building activity, you know, because we preach God's word every Sunday so that our minds can learn and set our minds on the word of God and the word of God shapes us to move into the same direction as a church. And another example is the one thing that we usually do, we might kind of gloss it over, but the reciting of the Apostles' Creed, that's no insignificant because Apostles' Creed is the central teaching of the Bible about God and the gospel all summarized into statements. And, and as we recite it together as a church, what happens is we hear each other affirm the word to be the unifying factor. And that's what we do every Sunday. And that's what builds church up when our mind, our mindset is on the word of God. And now, please follow with me. Where, where this mindset of the word specifically leads us to is none other than loving each other. That, that's what he says here in, in the verse. Paul says, having the same love. Meaning, you know, our goal is not to just accumulate Bible knowledge. We're not robots. You know, we're not just programs. We're people. And what the word does when we set our minds on it, the word shapes us to become people of love. And, and just as we hear God's love, like, like we saw in verse 1, and we experience God's love through the word, you know, we get to 
you know, um, replicate that love and deep care for one another. And the result is, is this, uh, lastly, last phrase in the verse, being in full accord. Uh, the, the phrase in Greek means being united in flesh and spirit. So what that means is as we love each other, you know, we become a one organism. Like we, our love, you know, knits us together, everybody together. So that we're not just, you know, the head knowledge people, but we are one body organism. Um, in that, that's what, thank you. That's what the word does for our church as we internalize it. Um, just a quick question by show of hands. How many of you uh, have been in orchestra before? Okay. Oh, a lot of people here. Um, so I didn't know this, but I Googled this and I, you know, verified it with other, other sources too. But do you know how an orchestra tunes itself before they play? <laughs> Some of you guys know? I didn't know this. Uh, but before you answer the question, let's just try to imagine what a daunting task that is, if you think about it. Because orchestra is a big group, you know. There are four different sections, you know, strings, violin, and all these things, and brass, and you know, woodwinds, and um, you know, all these different instruments. How do you unite them? How do you make them in tune? And the answer to that is, they use none other than this instrument called oboe. And for your information, uh, they use oboe because apparently uh, it's the instrument least affected by humidity and weather condition, so it stays constant in, in its pitch. So orchestra, like you know, before they start you know their concert or whatnot, uh, the oboist plays you know the note A. And all the other instruments, they play the same note, A. And that's how they get in tune. And from there on, you know, they, these all, you know, different instruments play off of each other. And they make beautiful music that gladdens our hearts. And I think that's like that for the church. Meaning, you know, again, we have a variety of people in a local church. And what tunes these different people and hearts into one note is the Word of God. And, and as the Word of God, you know, plays its note every single week, you know, we become, again, one organism as we work together uh, with the Word of God in our hearts. And we indeed create beautiful music of God's praise. And that's why I believe Paul says this completes his joy, his music. Uh, this past week, you know, I was meeting with uh, someone in our church online, and you know, he's a somewhat new, uh, new member in our church. And as we we're talking, we got the topic of you know how you know he got integrated into our church community, and uh, and he pointed out um, the different interest groups in our church. He mentioned you know. The Pokemon Go group, and uh, he, he mentioned the bikers group, and so on. And uh, that's how he got to know people, and that really helped them to belong to our church. 
And but after that talk, you know, I was you know, literally like praising and celebrating um, the blessing, this blessing of uh, these interest groups. But then at the same time, it, it, the thought, this thought occurred to me. You know, during this pandemic, when we're not really able to interact with one another as well, does this mean that people who don't have the same interests, people who are in different interest groups, may never really interact with one another and get to know each other? Is it a possibility? And I also thought about the growing demographics of our church, you know, the students, young adults, and you know, those who are married and those who have children. So in that regard, we are a diverse church. And again, the question is, how can we unite all these different groups, different interests, different lifestyles, and different concerns? How do we do that? Again, to reiterate, the answer is the Word of God. We should never, as a church, neglect the preaching and you know, chewing on the word of God every single week. And that's how God transforms our hearts to be people of love. People of love who love others who are not like us. And the last question we have is, is this in our passage. How exactly then does the word make us, shape us to become more loving people? He says it's humility. So third point, third and last, humility leads to unity. Paul's recipe for you know, making people love each other is humility in each person. Verse 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, in these verses, Paul is basically defining for us what humility means. He will do that by talking about what humility is not and what humility is. So first, what humility is not, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But the two words there, selfish ambition and conceit, uh, together, it depicts a person you know, whose central goal in life is to, to promote themselves, to be the guy and the girl uh, who's better than everybody else. You know, they're essentially king and queen in their mind, in their worlds, and, and people, they expect people to listen to them, you know, cater to them, and please them. It's all about building their own kingdom. And of course, you know, not many of us, not many people will overtly act like this, right? Overtly act like king or queen. But in many subtle ways, I, I, I agree um, that all of us have potential to act in this way of, you know, trying to promote my personal agenda, my, you know, whatever pleases me and, and whatever makes me look good. Again, in, even in subtle ways. And, and when people of the church are like that, there would be, what, factions and politics. And that's not what we want in our church. So in contrast, what is humility? So Paul goes on. He says, but in humility, 
count others more significant than yourselves. You know, other translations actually say, count others better than yourselves. How can this be? When we are kings and queens in our minds, how can we consider others to be better? How to do that is that we count and calculate ourselves accurately by comparing ourselves to none other than God, the Holy God. Meaning, when we stand before the Holy God, what we realize is that we are nobody. We're worse than nobody. We are helpless creatures and worse, hell-deserving sinners. We realize it is only by grace we can receive another breath to breathe and let alone the salvation from sin. And now from that place of reckoning, you now look at others in the right way. You realize, I am no king. I am no queen. I am nobody. But the real king in heaven graciously counted me to be more significant than himself. He came down and he died for me. And when I really understand that, out of humble gratitude, now I want to do the same to, to others. I want to consider them to be better than me and above me, people that I'm obligated to serve. Humility. But humility is not just the concept or ideas, just considering and thinking that you know people are better than you. No. So Paul goes on. He concludes it in this way. Verse 4, he says, Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The verb there, look to, actually is a very intense word. That's why the New Living Translation translates it, uh, look out for, you know, focus, look out. What that means is this. Humility means not only do you consider others to be better than you, but also you actually actively look out for what others need in this community. In other words, it is calling us look to look beyond ourselves and be on the lookout for what others are going through and serve their needs. That's what it means. And as I was looking for a way to illustrate um, what humility means uh, describing this passage, I found the waiter slash waitress to be the best example. Nearly perfect. And uh, just to insert there, I did work as a waiter once uh, or for some time, um, because mainly because my parents own, used to own restaurants. And uh, the bitter twist there is that they actually fired me because they said their reason was that I was too tall, that I was intimidating the customers. So anyways, so my sad history there. But, but think with me here, uh, the life of a waiter. If you're a waiter, your job is to humble yourself and count your customers to be better than you. They are your boss. And and especially, I think I've seen some good waiters 
what they do is they actually literally kneel down when they take orders and they write down their or, or the orders on the tables. Why? They want to show the customers that they are at least on the same eye level as them or they're serving them from below, right? It's their job. But not only that, if you're a waiter, it is your job to go up to your customers periodically to see if they need anything, right? That's how they get their, they get, they get their tips and you know compliments. In other words, words, waiters had to be constantly on the lookout for the customer's interests, their needs, because meeting their satisfaction and well-being is your job. And I think Paul is saying here that if you belong to church, it is your job to humble yourself and see others to be your boss above you that you are obligated to serve. It is your job, if you belong to church, to actively search for the needs of others and serve their needs, going up to their tables, so to speak, and ask them, is everything okay? How can I serve you? What can I do for you? And of course here, there's a difference between secular waiters and, you know, church people. Uh, secular waiters, their motivation, of course, is, you know, earning money to do that. And for us, it's for God's glory. But I think that using the word job, I think it really changes our paradigm, doesn't it? And often serving others in the church may sound like an option that you could avoid when it's inconvenient. But the passage seems to be saying that that's not so. It is your job description as a church member to be a waiter to one another. And now, I don't know, I don't know how you guys are mulling over this, being a waiter to one another. Is it too much? So please go back maybe to the to verse one. So please follow again Paul's line of thinking. If you are so thankful to God, to what he has done to your life, especially through this church, all the blessings, then you would want to be a waiter for others. That's how that works in our lives. And, and during this final pandemic, I think this idea of actively searching for ways to serve others, I think is so needed because unless we are active, the default mode will be you know, no interaction, right? That's the default. Um, no relationship because of that, and, and no love, and the end result is no unity of the church. It is only if the Spirit moves your heart to be active and be the member that God is calling you to be and reach out to others actively and, again, go to their tables, so to speak, and serve them. That's how the church can be built up, especially during this time of pandemic. So I encourage you, I encourage myself too, to take up this job description and, and do it. And, and now we have to be unconventional, we have to be creative in reaching out to others. Well, let's do it. You know, whatever that may look like, you know, messaging and hanging out outdoors, whatever. 
can we especially do that with maybe those who we haven't talked to in a while because of different, I don't know, groups or demographics or whatever it is? Could we do that as a church? And lastly, I've been mulling over uh, what Pastor John said a few weeks ago when he was, when he was preaching, and he said, um, not serving uh, makes you become more selfish. Not serving makes you become more selfish. And, and to be honest with you, at first, that statement kind of came to me as a surprise, so I, didn't, I couldn't really like, accept it right away in my heart. But then the more I think of, thought about it, the more I realized how true um, that is. Because if we don't serve, if we don't consciously look beyond ourselves, then what happens naturally, again, especially during this time, is that we become isolated, we become kings and queens in our own isolated worlds, where you are the king, you are, the, you are God, in fact. And not only away from others, but away from God, the true God. So, so I want to say this. Um, I, I don't want this to sound like you know I'm guilt tripping anybody. Uh, just out of care for your spiritual well-being. Um, I just want to point out this need and call um, and necessity for us to actively strive to serve. And, and what does that mean? I mean, again, it's it's a unique time, and you could. Talk to me or any other leaders, and um, I think we could devise some plans together. Like, what does it mean for you to serve? And as you just saw, I mean, these guys are serving, serving in this ways too. I think there's always needs in this church, even during this time, for us to serve. What, what, need, what we need in that atmosphere, environment, is that we're willing. That's all we need. If we're willing, there's always things to do. So let me end. Uh, thanks for bearing with me uh, during all these different um, hiccups. But God is still good for our church. Um, let me end the way I started this message. You know, like a lion to the oxen, Satan is always at work to devour each one of us but more importantly, as a church community. The only antidote to that is that we become thankful people and we are on the lookout to serve each other in this community. Let's pray for us. And what a great day um, for our church, for, for us, to be able to get some fresh air together, um, perhaps enjoying God's common grace, the nature that God, the creator God, created for us, the sky, the trees, and um, most importantly, the people that bear his image in our church. Can we just enjoy this moment together before you know, I close in prayer? Just enjoy um, 
this particular blessing of our church as well as all the blessings of God in your life. And may the Spirit move this moment to make our hearts to become soft and be thankful. Really from our hearts, not just saying it, you know, because we have to, but man, God, I'm so blessed. I'm so thankful. How can you love me with this much? Who am I that you're mindful of me? And from that place, may we pray, um, just asking God to uh, move our hearts to be the hands and feet for each other, be spiritual waiters, waitresses to one another. And that's the only way unity can happen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word. Um, your word is indeed what unifies us. It's the, it's our oboe. It it gets us in tune with one another because your word is unchanging. It's not affected by circumstances or history. So we submit ourselves to you, to your word, as your word just you know, challenges us. Um, help us to remember um, who you are and who we are in you. And from a heart that is thankful, help us to uh, actively serve each other in humility. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let's pray together. I'll close this with prayer and benediction. If I do, if you can just pray together in response to the word for our church and for one another. It's so great to see each other's faces, um, but even as we see half of each other, everyone's faces, we don't really know what's going on inside, you know? Like people might be going through a lot of different things. And so let's pray for our church. We pray that uh, we can be a church that encourages one another. Maybe a, a text message, phone call, something like that. It's different ways that we can care for one another. So can we pray that for a moment and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for one another, the body of Christ, the church, the local church that you put us in so that you can shepherd us through that community and care for us and guide us in our lives. Uh, with all the limitations that we're going through right now, we thank you that we see evidences of your constant, unwavering love and care for us. Help us to rise up through these circumstances to be the church of Jesus Christ, to uh, meet the needs, to serve one another, to be waiters uh, on our hands and knees, caring for the needs of others. And uh, we'll just pray that you will strengthen your church and through uh, one another's service like that, help us to see your and covenant love for us. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll just pray as well for uh, just the upcoming month, different tasks that we have to reach those around us. We pray that you would bless these efforts and help us truly share the love of Jesus Christ with everyone that's in need of it. Thank you, Lord. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, incredible unchanging covenant love of the Father God and the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever.